Welcome to Season 6 of Paper Talk, where we talk about tips and tricks on navigating and building your small creative business. I'm Quinn Nguyen of Pinga Mosey. I'm Jessie Chu of Crafted to Bloom. And I'm Sarah Kim of Handmade by Sarah Kim. In Season 6, we'll be sharing our experiences and insights on running a small creative business from managing finances to building your brand. We'll also be interviewing other small business owners and experts in the field to get their perspectives and advice. So join us as we dive into the world of small creative businesses and help you take it to the next level. Sarah and I have been talking about recently is research and development. We've been approached by various customers and companies about how to commission different types of flowers or animals or insects or all sorts of things. And we were like, how do you go about researching how to do something that you've never done before? And our topic today is sharing some insight on how we go about when we say you need to make some buttercups. How do you go about doing it? So I'm going to kick it off with Sarah. Sarah, I know you're working on a really fun project right now. And we were just discussing this before I hit record. Tell us more about this project you're working on. So this is my first time working on a bird, a paper bird. And it's really exciting because I love doing new things. So I'm glad that I have an excuse to actually like decide to look it up and do my research on this. But first, I like to look through all the different angles of the bird. And then I try to figure out all the different sections like the wing right now with the body. I'm literally working on it right now. (laughs) And I think I'm scared of the whole body, like how to keep it all together so that it's not going to crush or it's not going to weigh down and all of that. But research and development is seriously my favorite part of my job. I wish I can get paid for it, Mm -hmm. but that's like my favorite part, right? Not the part where you just make it over and over, but like the part that actually you get to look it up and write notes and yeah, but that's what I'm doing right now. I love it. So when you go through the process of looking up all these different body parts, you can't really go and capture a bird. Do you do Google search? Do you go to library? get books? How do you go about getting these images and these different angles that you need to replicate it? I'm definitely looking it up through Google, a lot of Googling and Pinterest. And I also like to look up just different artists, whether they made it out of clay, they made it out of fabric or just different mediums. And I like to look at what they're trying to do and what kind of details they want to capture. And I guess it goes, ties that all in by myself kind of thing. And I guess ultimately... Yeah, I would probably just print out tons and tons of pictures and then make myself like a little mood board first and then start tackling it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the trial and error process is fun though, but it is a lot of experimenting, especially since I've never made the bird before. Right now I have like glue all over the place (laughs) and paint and like wet things everywhere, but it's really fun. And I want to say in the past though, like making flowers, researching flowers specifically, it is interesting to see like, all the different versions of one specific flower, like the peony, right? Like when you make it versus when I make it, it's different. And I I think I like what we see Mm -hmm. in that. You see a specific angle that you want to make like detailed versus what I want to take the peony in. Yeah. And 
I like that. I do too. I love that even though everyone sees this particular peony that's been going around, but because of our experience and our history and what we love, it translates differently in our hands. And you might create a totally looking different peony versus me because I'm here focusing on creating those really beautiful stamens and you're focused on the petals because you're attracted to that. And that's where your attention Mm -hmm. goes through. And I think that's the process of being an artist is you get to a certain phase of your artist career where this is the moment where I am just focusing on coloring and that's all I want to really focus on and just make it perfect and not care too much about the other pieces. And through time, as you develop your flower, you're going to realize that all the experience and all the things that you've done in the past, it's going to create that one piece, which I'm still hoping is going to be perfect. There's nothing else I can change, but you know what? It's never happened. I've always made a flower and as soon as I'm done, and I think it looks wonderful, but as soon as I've already put the flower down and already moved to the next one, I look back and I was like, you know what? I could have done this. I could have done that. I don't beat myself up to it. I just take that note and try to challenge myself on the next flower or the next project to perfect that. And I think that's why it's kept me on this paper flower journey is I'm always constantly challenging myself and recognizing that even though I made it, I'm still trying to find a better angle. Like how can I replicate this to make it look more realistic? And nature is so funny. None of the flowers look exactly the same. And I think there's a process in the journey where you have to forgive yourself to say, even though it's not 100% perfect, but you know what? I'm 80% there. I'm happy with what it is. It's the best I could do right now. But then you think about how can I elevate my skills even more? How can I, who can I study? Who can I learn from to make it even better? But on the process yeah. of me researching and developing, I do the same thing. In Seattle, we have short growing weather season here. And so most of the time I do have to rely on Google or botanical books that will really break down the parts because I like to challenge myself. If you cut my flowers straight down the center, of my paper flowers, I'm hoping you'll be able to see all the different components, the carpels, the stamens, the petals, the sepals. It just, I want to replicate nature so badly that it's like, I want to make it and understand how each and every part is constructed to form that perfect peony. Why I'm talking about peonies is because I am in the weeds of making peonies right now and just really trying to study and understand the stamen because the stamen has always been such an interesting thing, especially if you're looking at coral charm, that's all you really see besides the petals is that beautiful center, those beautiful yellow stamens, and then that funny looking bulbous carpels with a little (laughs) bit of stigma that's sticking out. So it's just so interesting. And I think the best part of understanding research development is understanding your flower part because you're just able to fall in love with the flower even more and be educated to understand that each flower, each stamen, each filament, they all have a name and it's a way to respect the flower too. When I'm making the peonies too, specifically, like the peonies are everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard to make sure that because everybody else knows what it looks like, you have to make sure that it really looks like the peony. Exactly. <laughs> and I think the other flower that's like that is the rose. Mm-hmm. So the rose and the peony is always something in the back of my head. I'm always trying to like work on it. And it's not like my 100% confident flower still. But I mean, I, I make it all the time because it's so popular. But yeah. I feel like the rose and the peony is always a to-do list. Mm-hmm. And the awesome or the unawesome part is there's hundreds of varieties. So you can have your pick of colors, pick of shape. It's just numerous yeah. out there. And the really crazy part is all these gardeners out there are breeding more and more varieties of peonies and roses 
roses, especially garden roses. The garden rose is so pretty. And the garden rose is also one of the ones that are always on my list that I feel like I've yet to perfect, but they're so pretty. Yes. And ultimately, like I do this because we can't see it in person all the time. So speaking of which, like I recently saw a bunch of wisterias at a parking lot and that was my first time seeing them in real life. I've always seen just fake ones or like things that kind of look like streamers, but they're trying to make it look like wisterias. And for whatever reason in California, I think it's because of all the rain that we've never had in the past. We finally saw them in person and I was like, oh my gosh. And what actually grabbed my attention initially was because it smelled so nice. I I didn't even know. I was like, oh my God, it smells so nice. (laughs) And then I took a bunch of pictures and then I like a couple things that I did was I took pictures compared to how big it is to my hand to make sure that I have the the size and the proportions correctly. Yes. Because I want to know how wide it is, how long it is. And I didn't want to pick at it because they they weren't my flowers. They were growing in a parking lot. (laughs) But I, well, there were a bunch of bees on it too. So I just didn't want to interrupt anything there. But those were the things that I do. Usually I try to take pictures of how big it is compared to like my hand. And then I try to peek into what the petals would look like if they were a little bit more open versus closed. But I didn't know there were a lot of parts to the wisteria. I thought they just look like bundles, but they're actually like, there's like an ombre. There's also like the sizing differences. They get like, they go from small to big, like going up the vine. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting. I was like totally having a moment. I love that. (laughs) Were your family with you? (laughs) No. But I went back uh-huh. with my family. I went, I wanted to show my husband. I was like, aren't these so beautiful? <laughs> yeah, they were so pretty that I had to take them back. And my kid is probably, what's going on? Why are we <laughs> We like got out of the car and started taking pictures. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Seeing the flower in person is always so it's- important, I feel like. But we can't do that all the time. Yeah, that's so true. You can actually go into a wholesale flower market without a license in the state of Washington. You just can't buy. But you can actually go go in and take pictures and look around. And that's your opportunity to take really seasonal flowers in person. And you can always ask them, do you have any flowers that you're going to throw out? Can I have them for... And you explain who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten some free, almost dead flowers or squash flowers, but that's okay because I'm Mm -hmm. I'm about to take them apart just to see what the inside Mm -hmm. is. But another thing that I always carry with me is retractable rulers. The one that's the little round ones, the pocket (laughs) rulers. So that way I can measure things. And And yes, as a previous sewer, you actually measure your hand, your arm, because then you Mm -hmm. know how long your fingers are. And then you can measure out certain things without pulling a ruler out. But sometimes you just need a really exact ruler. So I have that with me. And of course, I always have my phone to take pictures. And I think it's really important Mm -hmm. to bring it to scale. Like you said that you put your hand next to it. It's really important because as you are making the flowers, you remember how big or small that flower is in your hand. My other question to you, when you do all this research and development, do you create things realistically in size or do you scale it up bigger or smaller according to your project? And how do decide on that factor? I do all of that. I sometimes have to make them in big giant flowers. I have to make them really big. Usually I would say when they're big, they're a little bit more forgiving. They're already impressive because they're so big. So I actually put less detail when they're big, which is weird because you have so much more space to like add all the details in. Typically, I want to say when I make the giant flowers, I don't really concentrate on that much detail. I would just 
be more worried about the structural aspect to Mm -hmm. the giant flower itself. I think when it's the realistic size is when I put in all the details, like the backside, the bottom side, all of that, Mm -hmm. like the stem, because I feel like I'm literally trying to mimic nature. But when they're big, I want to say I don't even really try that hard when it comes to color mm-hmm. and comes to the stem, whatever, right? You just have the giant stem or the pole looking thing. And I don't even sometimes add leaves on the stems, you know, because <laughs> it's it really complicated. Yes. Yeah. But I also love doing mini flowers. Mm-hmm. So they're usually like the size of less than your finger. Oh my gosh. They're amazing. I actually got some from Sarah and they are so detailed and so beautiful. It's incredible. I love it. <laughs> they're really fun. And I think it's just silly when I like bring that out of my bag to gift it to someone, but I love it. So that's one of my favorite things to do. But when I do the actual research, obviously it depends on the customer and the project, but typically I would start from your standard realistic size. Mm -hmm. And then if they want me to make it big, I'll first start with the standard size and then I will try to figure out how am I going to make that bigger? Yeah. So I actually have these like giant lavenders and lavenders are tricky because they're small flowers. So it's like, how much bigger can I make a lavender? It's still small compared to the other. Yeah. There's a lot of, I like recently talked to my husband about this, but there's a lot of math that goes on with paper flower making because even the scaling of giant flowers, Mm -hmm. it still has to be somewhat proportioned to the rest of your giant flowers. Yeah, exactly. It's so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Do I make sense when I say those things? Like, I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) It totally computes. (laughs) Okay. My other question is color development. When you research on color and you're looking at a Google image or you're looking in real life, how do you translate that into paper form? Do you go and try to match it to the closest color? Do you manipulate the color on the paper to get the color that you want? And how do you go about doing it? Because I know you mainly you work with cardstock. I do coloring them mm-hmm. myself. So I actually start with a white paper. I don't know what you do with crepe paper, yeah. but a lot of my flowers probably start with white or like your basic colors, like white, pink, and blue. Mm-hmm. I think those are the only three I have. Yeah. And then from there, I manipulate it to the color I want. Oh, interesting. So typically the blue would be a purple. Because I can't, it's harder for me to go from white to purple because that's a lot of coloring. So I start from like a blue base and then I'll make it into a purple color. And then if it's like a deeper red, then I would start from a pink because then again, I don't want to go from white to red. Like it's a lot of information when it comes to coloring because it's such a different part of my job, not just the flower making. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Like, how is that for you? Because that's too, right? I'm fortunate. So I work with Italian crepe paper and German crepe paper. And literally the Italian crepe paper, there's literally over 200 color choices, which is so amazing and so wonderful. And then the German crepe paper, there's probably a little bit over 100. And I know they're in the process of developing more, but it's just really amazing that we're so lucky to have all these different colors. But when you try to mimic nature, you want that specific color tone, that neutral or the color that you can't really get in paper form. And so I do manipulate it by adding acrylic or gouache or watercolor or pan pastel, depending on the type of flower. Like for example, the pansies, they have almost like these beautiful markings that you can achieve with watercolor or alcohol markers. And then there's this dual tone that you always see within the pansies, that white to purple, or you have that red to orange. And it's just so pretty. And I think that's why pansies are so fun because they have that certain look to them. 
them, cute little faces. And how do you go about translating those little faces? I do manipulate a little bit more by sometimes water washing the grape or just washing it with another color and it'll change it up quite a bit. Yeah, that's basically what I do too. We do have a lot of paper colors, but I think I like adding the color just because it does give it more of a a uniqueness to each like petal, even though like it's a solid, it's not a solid color when I color it because there's like strokes of colors, right? So that's why I like coloring the paper first. And then, and I do use gouache. I use acrylic. Mm. I'm just, I'm always experimenting with coloring. I feel like it gives it like a different tone on each petal compared to a solid cardstock paper. I would say that's why your flower looks so unique, so different for other paper artists that does cardstock, because I know most of them use pre-color cardstock. And so Mm -hmm. there's a uniformity to that. But when you color your own, that's when it stands out a little bit more and you add your own personality to it because you affiliate Mm -hmm. with warmer tones or cooler tones. That's so Mm -hmm. cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Sometimes I do use a solid color too. If I get lucky and the client wants a color that I already have, great. But then it's not always the case. Yeah. So I would say you should always experiment with coloring and using different, like anything. I'm, I even tried, I did try pan pastels too. I've done color pencils and then you can soak the color pencils after you stroke them. Yeah. Like I'm always trying new ways to do that. Yeah. yeah. One of the experimentation I'm doing right now is watercolor pencils where I take a paintbrush and I wet it completely and then I wet the tip of the pencil and then I color mm. my paintbrush to layer on the colors. Almost like if you were a cake decorator and you are lining your piping bag with different colors and when you pipe it, it comes out in different colors on your cake oh. or cupcake. And it's been so fun to play around with the different color tones of adding in pink, orange, and yellow, and then seeing what happens when you stroke it onto the crepe paper. And it's really interesting. I'm learning how to use my paintbrush a little bit better on adding those feathery strokes versus if you use it flat. It's been so fun. That's what I've been working on. And so... I can't wait to share some more techniques about this. Yeah, experimenting with that stuff is really fun. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel like. Exactly. So much fun. I actually took a watercolor class to like just get better at it. I am not good at it, but I took the class just to learn like the different techniques, like what does it do? What kind of paper? And even there were only a couple classes that I took for that. Like I feel like I came out with a lot of like information and just even knowing what kind of paint to even get because it's yeah it's a little intimidating if you're going to just start all from scratch that goes all into research and development really because you're trying to take all these different techniques and put it to your flower your project and your medium so I would say you always study different art form because I had written down cake people they like you just mentioned they're similar because they're trying to make flowers and they're trying to make different aspects to the cake itself so I actually really like studying how cake decorating people make certain types of parts to the flowers and and shaping that adhesive I want to talk about that a little bit are you a hot glue fan or are you fan of tacky glue or gorilla glue what do you mainly use for your small versus your large flowers. I am using hot glue a lot because Mm -hmm. that's what I'm comfortable with. But I do use tacky glue. I do use different just like white glue. So I do experiment with that too all the time. So 
I'm trying to figure out like, like, how is it going to dry? Is it going to dry clear? Is it going to glue metal? Is it going to glue my stem? And also like weatherproofing. I don't know if it's going to withstand sitting in my garage all day in the summer. So I mm-hmm. don't know. So I'm always testing things out. Yeah. Recently, I was trying to do some fabric flowers. Ooh. And I have done fabric flowers because I used to make accessories. Yeah. But to make them big is a little bit different, again, with the whole structural part to it. And I try 10 different glues because <laughs> I one one I don't want like toxic glue it's tricky because toxic glue is what works but I don't want to be like smelling that and having that all over my hands but then I tried hot glue and it's like messy mm-hmm. and then I was like maybe if I get like better at hot glue <laughs> but yeah I, it's still in the works yeah yeah do you have any tips for hot gluing things a lot of people ask me how do you make sure it doesn't string the little stringiness I always call it like the glue webs, yes. spider webs. <laughs> I The way I like to do it is I like scratch the tip onto the paper or fabric. Yeah. I like scratch it so it like cuts it so that when I take my glue away from the paper, it'll cut the glue. Got it. So then it doesn't get stringy. Yeah. There's like a little technique that you have to do at the end after you glue the part. Yes, that totally makes sense. But I do say like, different hot glue is all the hot glue guns are all different but the glue gun that I use it's actually discontinued so I'm really scared if it breaks on me like I don't know what to do because I actually bought a new hot glue recently And it's terrible. Oh. Like, I, I almost should do a review on all the different hot glue guns. You should. I want to do a review, but the glue gun that I like is the glue gun I use and it's discontinued. So I don't even know what the solution is at the end. But it's like a fine tip hot glue gun that I bought recently. And even though it's fine tip, it just it spits out glue really fast. So it doesn't make the fine point fine. I'm experimenting on this all the time. Okay. Do, you, do you use hot glue though? Yeah, when I do the large flowers, especially the large uh-huh. wallflowers, I'm definitely using hot glue gun. It just works quicker and faster because the tacky glue takes some time. And the, there's other yeah. methods where I put a bowl of tacky glue and just let it air dry. So the top part of the surface gets really super tacky and it sticks right away. And that's when I'm working on mm-hmm. a lot of petals and I just need to quickly put things on because I'm a pretty fast worker. And so I like to put it in a bowl to let it air dry and then I can easily it's faster than taking picking up the bottle, putting a dab of glue, putting mm-hmm. it down. I can easily pretty much take the end of the petal, swipe it onto the glue bowl, scrapes a little bit off the edge, tack it on. And it's one quick motion versus picking up Good the bottle. Idea. Yeah, it works really well for me, but it takes practice to do it. I think I actually saw a tutorial recently where they put the glue all over like a bubble wrap, yes. like shipping bubble wrap. Uh-huh. And then they like brush it on so that you have enough glue every time that you can just put your paper on top and then like put it on to your flower or whatever. Oh, interesting. But you don't have to squeeze it up. Yes. So I was like, oh, I need to do that next time. I know, trying to make things yeah. a little bit more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you give yourself for research and development? I wish I could give myself like all day long because <laughs> I love doing this. This is my favorite part of my job, really. I just wish this is the part that makes me money in a sense, but I get like really into it. And sometimes I even wake up in the middle of the night like thinking, oh my gosh, that would be a great idea. And I like start writing things 
around. Yeah. And I have notebooks everywhere and I have notes on my phone everywhere, like just coming up with random, oh, that'd be a cool technique to try out or whatever. So research and development is when you see me in the zone for that, I'm smiling. I'm really happy doing it. Yeah. I think for an actual project, it needs to be realistic, right? Mm -hmm. I think the recent one that I did, I have to give myself not even a day up and come up with the idea and be able to execute it, right? Yeah. Realistically, you can't give yourself a long time Mm -hmm. when it's actually for a project. Exactly. I would say the exception for that is wedding orders. When a bride who's really on top of it will reach out as soon as she gets engaged and the wedding's not till next year and you really get to talk to the bride and find out what she really wants and love and you can research more on the different flowers you can put into the bouquet. But for corporate commission work, they're so fast that you either have to research on your down time. And the thing is, you know what they need most of the time. The most popular flowers, the peonies, the garden roses, things like that you can research and always have in your back pocket that you can, if I have some slow time, I'm going to look at this and try something that I've been thinking in the back of my head. But you're right. There's literally no time when you get a commission. It's like you either wing it as you go along or you do a lot of Googling. Okay. I think this is how you do it. And then as you make it, you change or update your technique as you make it happen. Yeah. I'm going to be real. I'm winging it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I totally get that. I've been there too. All right. If you have any questions that we didn't cover on research and development, drop us a note. We're more than happy to follow up and give you some answers. And of course, DM us on Instagram. We're always there to answer any questions on this particular week. What are you snacking on, Sarah? I think my favorite snack this week, it has to be, they're from Trader Joe's actually. Mm-hmm. And I found these honey grapes. I've tried them. They taste like lychee. And I love freezing my grapes and then eating them. They taste like candy. So I froze those honey grapes and then I've been eating that and it's good for you. And it feels like I'm eating candy. Yes. Without eating all that sugar. Yeah. Yeah. That is really good. My favorite snack used to be my favorite snack because they actually discontinued it. I was so sad. So I love Trader Joe hummus and they come in these little half pints and it's the jalapeno cilantro hummus. Oh, that one's my favorite too. I know. It's so good. They're not making anymore. I've been searching their shelves for weeks now trying to find that particular hummus flavor and it's so sad. It's no longer there. I hope they bring it back. There's a bunch of hummus that they discontinued, actually, because I, I used to like the other ones, too, that like other flavors. I know. What happened? I'm so sad. But I do love their pita chips to go with the hummus. That's always been my to-go yes. snacks to grab those two. And then if I'm watching a movie or doing some research, I snack on those. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us to this week. And we can't wait next week. 